This morning we are continuing our flyover of the Torah. If you've been uh, reading along with us, uh, we've been going through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and now this week we started in Deuteronomy. I had a hard, difficult time. I really couldn't get much past the first ten verses. Um, I did, but it was I kept going back to them, so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, if you continue the reading this week and next week, next week you'll have read uh, clear through the Torah, the Old Testament in 40 days. We've got a video. Are we ready with that video? We're going to show this little video introduction. After four decades wandering the desert, the people of Israel stand on the edge of their inheritance. The land God promised centuries ago is finally within reach. But as the people look around, they see so much that has changed. An entire generation has died, missing out on their share of the inheritance because they failed to follow God into the unknown. No one alive even remembers Egypt. No one remembers what it was like to be a slave. They don't even remember Sinai. They weren't there when God made his covenant with their parents and grandparents. So much has changed. But the book of Deuteronomy shows what hasn't changed. As the Israelites gather on the edge of Canaan, God reissues his covenant, the sacred law binding him and his people together. The previous generation received the law in bits and pieces along the way, starting with the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. This time, however, the law is delivered all at once, in the form of a farewell speech from Israel's leader. Moses is nearing the end of his own life, but before he dies, a new generation needs to hear God's law for themselves. Moses' farewell speech in Deuteronomy takes the form of an ancient treaty, the kind emperors once made with their subjects. Deuteronomy includes all the main elements of a treaty, defining the terms of the relationship between a ruler and the people. It begins by introducing Moses as the authorized representative of God, Israel's great king. Then Deuteronomy outlines everything God has accomplished for his people, like battles won and provisions made in the desert. For 40 years, the people of Israel have lacked for nothing. This is not just about what God did for their ancestors long ago. It's about what God has done for them, for this generation, how God has protected and provided for them at every step. Next, the treaty spells out the people's obligations. They are to give their exclusive allegiance to their great king. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. The people are to commit themselves fully to their king and his mission in the world. They are to share this covenant, their true inheritance, with each new generation. So much has changed for the Israelites these last 40 years, but God hasn't. His plan for them hasn't. The story is moving forward.
The word Deuteronomy literally means second law. And what, what is the second law? Well, it's the giving of the law again. So what happened was, as we, as we have been going through the account of the Old Testament, what took place was God made a promise through Abraham um, that he was going to bring the children of Israel to a, to a new, give them a, a promised land. He was going to make them a mighty nation, and God raised up Moses to actually deliver them, to make them a, a, a mighty nation. And um, as Moses went to take the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land, that's the, that's the point of this, is that there was a purpose, there was a destination. God was taking them from here to there. How many of you have ever gone from here to there? Okay. How many of you have ever gotten stuck someplace between here and there? And you didn't quite make it all the way. God wanted to take Israel from here, from Egypt, to Canaan, to the promised land, to there. That's where God wanted to take them. And we know the story. They hung out at Mount Horeb for a year, and then God went, wanted them to leave. And, and what happened? They didn't want to leave, did they? No. We talked about this last week. They wanted to go back to Egypt. God wants to deliver them. He was taking them out of slavery, taking them out of we can look at this in our own life. And we can just say, he was taking us out of our old nature, our old way, the old habits, the old sins, the old man, the old way of living. He was taking us out of that, and he wanted to deliver them to something better. But they got comfortable, and they wanted to go back to the old way. Has that ever happened to anybody but me? We, we kind of we like being stuck. We would tell everybody around us we don't like being stuck. But we, we get, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll say it this way, we don't really like being stuck, but maybe it's more like this. Maybe it's just that we're more comfortable with that old pattern of life. So we're so comfortable in our sin and our complacency that we're just not really sure we want to change. We're not sure what's on the other side. And so we choose... To remain, I believe that God is challenging us. He's challenging his people. I believe in the last days he's challenging the church to return their hearts to the heart of the Father. To say, God, what is it you would have for us instead of us just going through life on our own? We, we kind of tend sometimes to just walk through life our own way. I, I go to church. Life is good. Everything's okay. Uh, um, so we were just going to kind of cruise here for a while. Now, I was going to steal this baby over here in the second row, but he's sleeping quite nicely, and I decided I'm not going to because the pacifier is making that all stay. But I, I have a two-and-a-half-month-old grandson, okay? You can imagine that I'm holding this two-and-a-half-month-old grandson, right? I have this two-and-a-half-month-old grandson. And he's trying at this point. Now, he's still trying to roll over just a little bit, right? He kind of gets his little leg moving one direction. What would you think of, say, a... Uh, Oh, say a six-month or maybe a, a year-old baby that couldn't quite roll over yet. Would that be acceptable for us? Probably not. I see a couple of grandpas going, hey, no way. we got to get that figured out. What about a two-year-old who's not quite able to yet roll over, not quite able to crawl? What about a, a three-year-old who can't put any words together yet? 
or a three-year-old who can't feed himself yet, or a six-year-old who still isn't, maybe there's nothing, nothing wrong, they're just not doing anything. Would we see that as a problem? Of course we'd see that as a problem, right? None of us would want to just allow that to go on. We would do whatever it took to doctor and to, to get these babies taken care of and do whatever they need to do. Does that make sense, right? Are you following me? Are you hanging in there? Some of you are like, well, I don't know. where are we going, Pastor? We would never allow that to take place. And yet, as believers in Jesus Christ, we just allow ourselves and we allow those around us to kind of sit there and just take up space. Not really sure if we could roll over, if we just really just like sucking our thumb and watching the world go by. I really think they should do something different at church. They really should get something going for the youth. Or those little kids really need some help. And they just sit. We just sit. The church just sits. The church doesn't move. I'm going to read you a passage of scripture. We refer often, or I refer often, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We, we know that verse. We, if anyone is in Christ, old things passed away, build. Okay. But he starts out, Paul starts out that verse with the word therefore. And if you see the word therefore, you've got to find out what the word therefore is there for. Because he's got a setup to it. Listen to the setup to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 13, Paul says this. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. You ever been, anybody ever accused you of being out of your mind? Like, what is the matter with you? Go to Sunday mornings, you're up at what? You're going, are you out of your mind? I've heard that a few times. Paul says, at least if I'm going to be out of my mind, as some say, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Are we convinced that Christ died for all? Are we convinced of that? And I see a few of you nodding, but I'm going to ask you, are we really truly convinced and you have to be careful before you answer this do you believe that Christ died once for all of our sin and that's done we believe that we believe that's what scripture says okay let me ask you this then if you're convinced of that are you compelled to do something about it or are you comfortable just being complacent, knowing that God did something for you. Here's a challenge. And this is a challenge that I think the Lord has for us today. It's this challenge of complacency in the body of Christ as a whole. Now, I'm not just talking about this church. I'm not talking about any church in particular. I'm talking about the body of Christ as a whole, as the church. I believe that 
if we are truly convinced of what Jesus has done, we will be compelled. In verse 15 it says, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul says, look, if you really believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, you got to stop living for yourself. Instead, live for him. What does that mean? What, what does that mean, pastor? What does that mean? Well, it means he becomes the center. Remember Israel? We talked about the, how God, that he wanted the tabernacle with him, and his tabernacle was in the center of the nation. He, that he should be the center of our life. That truly... The, the whole, what would Jesus do, literally becomes our model on a regular basis. That he becomes the center. And he, he goes on, he says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. There's a lot in here. What, what does that mean? Well, that means if I see Alonzo walking down the street and his drawers are hanging halfway down and he's be, i got to stop looking at just that outside appearance. Or if I, see, if I see somebody else walking around, then they're all dressed to the hilt, man, everything's great. We have to stop looking at them from a worldly perspective and going, boy, it looks like he's got a lot of money. It looks like he doesn't have any money. That doesn't make any difference here, folks. God is calling us as a church, as a body, as a people. He's calling the church to grow up and take a little bit different look. If indeed our lives are buried in him, if indeed he has... He has, he has paid the price. If indeed he owns us, then we have to look from a different perspective. We regard no one from the worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we, we do so no longer. We don't even look at Jesus the same way as we used to. Therefore, because of all of that, because Jesus has died, because he paid the price, because he purchased our, our salvation, because we're in him. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. If that's truly what we believe, if we are convinced that Jesus has paid the price, if we are compelled to make a movement to do something, he's saying, recognize that your old nature then is changed, is changing, and you're being transformed into someone different. If you're not seeing transformation in your life, then there's a problem. Right? Right. One more time. If you're not seeing transformation in your life. When I got the call, uh, well, I got a call from, from Kevin. Actually, I got a call from his, his ex-wife. She called me and, and she said, I wonder if you could meet with my husband. Um, he just got a diagnosis of cancer and I, I told him he needs to meet with somebody. Actually, what she said was, um, you need to meet Pastor Tim or I'm going to introduce you to Jesus or something like that. <clears throat> and he came into my office and it looked like he had about a 90-pound weight around his neck. He came in and sat down and how's it going? And it's just, it was, this was what it was. And by the end of the conversation, he had accepted Christ and there was a changed man. So much so that when he had to have surgery on a, on a kidney cancer, I went to the hospital and his friend who wanted nothing to do with Jesus, nothing to do with God, nothing to do with church, wanted nothing to do. 
I went in and I introduced myself. I didn't really know who he was for sure. And uh, I was talking to this friend and I went to, we had to all step out in the hall for a minute and his friend just stopped me, got right in my face. I just got to thank you. And I'm like, all right, we're really close. Back up a little bit. I just got to thank you. My friend, my friend went from here up to here. And I don't know what you did. I don't know what you said. And I don't care. I just have to thank you. Why? Because there was transformation. Something took place in his life and he began to change. He's not the same person that he was eight years ago when I met him. Because of me, not because of me, but because of Christ in me, that's the hope, right? Christ in me is the hope of glory. If there's anything good inside of me, it's Jesus. It ain't Tim. Trust me. We can go back and we can look at my record. It's not, what's in, it's not me. If there's anything good, it's Christ in me. And that power should be transferable, if you will. Theologically, we're getting on some sketchy ground. But that, is, that should transfer. Other people should see that and should change their lives. Especially when they take it in themselves. Do I believe, and if I believe... Will I contend for the faith if I believe? Will I be willing to, to look like a fool and say, listen, I don't know what the doctors are telling you. I don't care what the doctors are telling you. Here's what I know. Jesus loves you. He cares about you. He can give you peace. He can, give, he can change your life. He can transform your life. And I'm willing to stand here and pray for you and look like an idiot. I don't care. Hallelujah. Why? Because there's something greater inside of me for somebody else. You say, well, that's really good, Pastor. I'm glad that you have that. Guess what? So do you. If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwell in you, dwell in you, he will quicken, the Bible says, he'll quicken our mortal bodies. He will change us. He will transform us. And it's not just me. Let's not go back to Egypt. God's moved us out of, out of slavery. Let's not go back there. But let's not be afraid to move forward. Let's not get stuck at Horeb. That's the problem, right? We come out of Egypt and we are, we, are, we are one day on this journey and there's 11 more days to go and we get stuck here and go, you know what, this is kind of comfortable. I'm not in Egypt anymore. I'm out of slavery. And now all of a sudden we get stuck here. You're still stuck. God doesn't just want us to get saved. He wants us to do something with that. Therefore, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. The new has come. The old is gone. The new is here. You are not the same that you were yesterday. If you've accepted Jesus, when you flip that page, the old man's dead. He may not look dead. He may not act dead. But he's going to start acting dead. He's going to start acting deader and deader and deader and deader until you don't even recognize yourself. Amen? Amen? I'm not so sure you're convinced. But I'm telling you, this is what God would have for the church. He wants us to grow up and to change, to not be the same that we were. He goes on. He says, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. I now can walk in an upright relationship with God because of what Christ has done on my behalf. Do you believe that? Yes. Do you believe that of your own life? Yes. 
that because Jesus died and he paid the price and you receive that in, you can walk in right relationship with God. Do you believe that? Yeah. Careful. Don't put your hand up too high yet. Because the rest of that verse says, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Not only did he reconcile us to himself, but he gave us a gift. He gave us a call. He gave us a ministry. He said, all right, you want to walk in this new relationship with me? That's great. I got a gift for you. It's called the gift of reconciliation. Now what I want you to do is I want you to take that gift and go and find somebody else who needs it. Somebody else needs Jesus. Somebody else needs to be reconciled. It is our job. When I was a kid, I went to Haiti. I was, uh, no, I went to Mexico. I was, first mission trip was in 1985. I went to Mexico. And what we did was we went and we had, um, we would go and we'd have tent meetings. Now, uh, after this tent meeting, uh, I was actually not part of the tent meeting. They, they, the team before me had done this tent meeting in this little village. And when the tent meeting was done, they began to establish a church. By a church, I mean, uh, let's see, it was a porch that was about 12 feet wide and it was about 15 feet long, and there was roof over about four feet of it, so when it was 100 degrees, everybody was sitting out there, and the preacher was trying to stay back into the shade, and when it was raining, the preacher was trying to stay under the roof, but everybody else, people came, and I'm not kidding you, they sat in 100 degree heat for a three hour meeting. It rained pouring, pouring so much you couldn't see, you couldn't use electronics, you couldn't, there's nothing you could do. But they came because they heard the gospel and it meant so much to them. They realized that they were set free. That it wasn't about do we have air conditioning or do we not we have air conditioning? Where's the nicest seats in town? Who's got the best worship team in town? That's not what it was. Who's got the best preaching? That's not what it was about. They came to hear the word of God. They literally came, one guy came over the mountain. He heard that we were giving away Bibles. So he and his family came over the mountain. And they, you could tell they were fairly wealthy jewelers. He was selling jewels that he mined out of, the, out of the mountain. They were fairly wealthy because their donkey had a wooden saddle. Yeah. There's somebody who tried to ride a horse one time. On a wooden saddle, he had a donkey with a wooden saddle. He was fairly wealthy. And what they were doing was they would take sections of the Bible and they would cut them out. They'd cut out a book at a time, and then families would take that, that section, that book at a time, and they would take that back home with them, and they would read those, those pages. They'd read through the book of Romans for two weeks until they could come back in. And when we gave them a Bible, the guy was reduced to tears, and I said, let's give them a second one so they could give it away, and he had no idea what to do with it. Look, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. After this church was established, it was their job then to take the tent and go down and do another church. They had, once this building was done, they had a month to be out with that tent, do, passing on the ministry of reconciliation, continuing to grow. What do we do? Eh, I don't know. I don't know. You having pot blessing today? I'll go to church then. I don't know. It's really nice out. It'd be a great day to be out on a pontoon. Do we continue with that? We should look crazy to our friends. Er, crazy er. Some of you had crazy down pat when you started. <laughs> you should look crazy er. You should look Jesus crazy to them. They're like, well, I, Pastor, I'm not really sure that God's called me that. He has. He's given you the, the ministry of reconciliation. Paul actually said, if I'm going to look nuts, at least I'm going to do it for God. I looked, I looked, I did all kinds of crazy 
before I accepted Jesus. There was no excuse on the planet for me not to look crazy for Jesus after what I did for myself for 18 years, right? No excuse whatsoever. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God reconciled the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the, the message, not just the ministry, but the message of reconciliation. We need to tell people about Jesus. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though they were making, as though God were making his appeal through us. I don't know if you've got a picture of that. Can you imagine Jesus coming and standing in a community telling people about the life that God has given him? Can you imagine what that, can you imagine to have been sitting in the presence of Jesus when he preached? Paul is saying, you have that exact, it's almost as though God were speaking right through you. He's given you the message of reconciliation. And you're saying, Pastor, that's all good. He's given that to you. No, 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 not just me. To us. To each one of us. To each one of us. To each one of us. Right? To each one of us. Not to me, but to us. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Go ahead Find a mirror. As soon as church is done, go ahead and find a mirror. If you look in that mirror and you see your face, you qualify. <laughs> God has given you the ministry of reconciliation. So well, you don't know how I've lived. I don't care how you've lived. You, you look like a fool for the world. Look like a fool for Jesus for a change. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are his ambassadors. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When we're in him, you can't pay for that. You can't pay for God's righteousness. You can't, there's no way to get that other than through Jesus. He paid the price for our sin. And when we're in Him, we're supposed to reflect that righteousness until we have a ministry of reconciliation. Everybody in here is called to be ministers. Able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter because the letter kills, but of the Spirit because the Spirit gives life. How do I do it? Mow your neighbor's lawn. When your dog takes a dump in your yard, clean it up. Don't throw it in his yard. Don't put it on his step. Bless him. I know Marlis is like, hey, now there's an idea. I hadn't thought of that one yet. Somebody, maybe it wasn't Marlis, I don't know. <clears throat> in Christianity, maybe in life as a whole, we go through cycles. We just kind of go through cycles. We, we, we just get comfortable. We get comfortable. And whether there's good fruit or bad fruit or some fruit or no fruit. We just get comfortable. It doesn't make any difference. We just get comfortable. Life's good. We've got our routine. I go to work. I get done with work. I go home. I, I, I mow the lawn. It's Monday, so I mow the lawn. On Tuesday, I'll do golf. On Wednesday, I'll do fishing. On Thursday, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever. Blah, 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 blah. We just go through the, the motions, and we're not living. We're not living. Where's the excitement of Christ? Jason, in, in the book of Acts, they, they went and drugged Jason out of his house and said, these are the ones. They flipped, they're trying to flip the world upside down. Let's get rid of them. 
Anybody here been accused of flipping the world upside down because of your preaching? Not me. Not lately. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time somebody looks and says, you're just plain crazy, you know that? Listen, Deuteronomy, this is what I couldn't get past. Deuteronomy chapter 1, starting in verse 6. The Lord said to us at Horeb, this is Moses speaking. He's going to give the second law. He's going to tell them all the things that they already know. We were back at Horeb. God spoke to me. We went, we were supposed to go on an 11-day journey. Instead, it was 38 years and 10 months. Moses is reviewing this. The Lord said to us at Horeb, you have stayed too long at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hillside of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring people at Ahab uh, in the mountains, in the western foothills of Negev, along the coast, to the, uh, to the land of the Canaanites, to the Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go and take possession of the land that the Lord swore that he would give your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants. You've been here too long. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, it's time to leave the comfort zone. Okay, seven of you did it. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor it's time to leave your comfort zone. It's time to step out of our comfort zone. You know, when God promised uh, Israel the, the land, what did he do? They, 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 they got traveling over there. They sent some spies in, right? page three. <laughs> That's funny. They sent the spies in. There's 12 spies that go in. Ten of them come back to it. Can't do it. Giants. Big giants. Big, big, big giants. They got grapes that are this big. Lands flowing with milk and honey. Big giants. They're so bad, man. They're going to collapse on themselves. They're going to kill themselves. They're this bad. Caleb and Joshua are like, yeah, let's go. We can do this. Let's go. Right? Read the book. Read the book. They are ready to take the hill. Let's go! And what do they do? Nope. See, here's what I want to tell you. I believe that God, at that very moment, was ready to flip the script. I believe he was ready to flip the picture. I believe he was ready to change it. If he promised us the mountain, if he said, I'm going to give you the mountain, if he said, it's time to go to the mountain, it's time to take the giants, then I believe as soon as they would have stepped in the land, God would have done something. He would have done something, right? We'll never know because they didn't do it. They decided to walk around for 38 years instead. Everybody who disagreed with God, what happened to them? They all died. Gone. So when they're there again, and Moses is, I can almost hear Moses saying, please God, please tell them to cross over. I can't do this for another 40 years. Please give, give them some faith. Do something here. We got to go. We got to do this. An 11 day journey turned into 38 years and 10 months. 11 days. 11 days. And they're wandering out in the wilderness. How long are we going to wander in the wilderness, church? How long are we going to sit back and go, mm, yeah, I'm not really sure. I think, I kind of think we should do something different. I think we should do something different. I think it's time for us to grow up. And I'm not just talking about in this church. Please, I want you to understand. I think this is a call towards the body of Christ. I believe we're moving into 
I believe that we're moving into some very, very strategic days that God wants to do some things. He wants to do some things in the business that you're in. He wants to do some things in the job that you're in. He wants to do some things in the school that you're in, in the retirement community that you're in, in the, in the, in the people that you work with, with your employees, with your employers, with the people that you sell to, the people that you buy from. He wants to do something. He wants you so tuned in to his spirit that when he says, Do this. Just go over and bless it. Just go over and do it. He wants you so tuned in that instead of you going, I'm not really sure, God, that seems like kind of a funny thing. And instead of doing it. So one day I was, we were putting in windshields. I, I owned a business. We were putting in windshields. And, and as we're driving to, I, I got a call. What I would do is if, if you called me and said, I, I got my windshields really chipped up. Uh, it's, it's got a lot. Of, but... But, and so I, I just need a new one, um, and we got it all approved through insurance. If it wasn't cracked, I would cut that windshield out and save it and put it in my garage. And then if somebody needed a windshield that they couldn't afford it, then we could go and put in a really a, a used windshield for them. So we're out going to this, to this site, myself and the guy who was working for me, and as we pulled in, I just felt the Lord say, you're going to give this one away. And I thought, well, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. Here's 150 bucks in my pocket. I'd rather do that. And I felt like the Lord say, you're going to give this away. And so I started talking to the gentleman, and I didn't say anything to him about it. And the guy was with me. And, and so uh, the guy, I, eventually, um, I just told him, I said, you know what? I feel like the Lord's telling me that we just need to, to do this windshield for you for nothing. He didn't tell me any of his story. And after I told him, he, he broke down and started crying. And here he and his wife and his three little kids had just moved into this community. He was promised a job, and he was on a job for three days, and they shut the factory down. He had left. He was 200 miles from home, left everything, they sold their house. Here they were sitting in the middle of no place. One time I'm sitting in an airport, and I looked at the guy who was with me, and I'm like, get your bags ready. He's like, what? I said, we're moving planes. He's like, we're not moving planes. We're taking off in 20 minutes. I said, we're moving planes. All of a sudden, we're sitting here, and I look, and outside, some guy comes out with a ladder. Now, I love duct tape, okay? I'm good with duct tape. Duct tape's my friend. I've used it lots of times. This guy's walking along with a ladder, sets it up underneath the wing of the plane, grabs out his roll of duct tape, and starts taping something on the bottom of the wing. And then we get called. Yep, move, move to a different flight. You got to go here. You got to go there. And I'm like, see? I told you. That dude had duct tape. I'm not getting in that plane. God will do that for us. God will do that for us. No, we're getting better. Half of you believe. God will do that for us. Alright, that's what I was looking for. You gotta believe it. You gotta believe it. We have to listen. God told, told uh, the Israelites, you've been at this mountain long enough. Horeb was here for a reason. But don't get stuck there. I'm taking you from here to there. Remember there. Remember I've got a plan for your life. Some of us, we felt God put a call on our life 15, 20 years ago. And we've gotten so complacent that we've just kind of let it go and die. And I guess it's just not going to happen. You know what the Bible says about the call of God? The Bible says that the gifts of God and the call of God are without repentance. You know what that means? That means one day you're going to stand before God, and when you do, He's going to say, I placed a call on your life. What would you do about it? 
sorry. No, sorry is repentance. The gifts and the call of God are without repentance. Every pastor I know has quit their job at least 50 times on a Monday morning. And I've been there. I've actually tried giving my resignation letter to the elders and they slid it back laughing at me. Lonnie. <laughs> I wouldn't mention any names. <laughs> you know what? Even if I did that, God's going to hold me accountable. The gifts of God and the call of God are without repentance. God doesn't want anybody in this church or any other church or any part of his body to be stuck someplace between here and there. He's got a call for your life. And the, the job, the task for us is to get in that place where we're hearing God. What is it you would have me to do? What would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? Does that mean everybody's going to be preachers? No, but everybody has the ministry of reconciliation. Everybody's been given that. Everybody's been given the message of reconciliation. You say, well, Pastor, what's the message of reconciliation? Jesus Christ loves you, and he paid the price for your sin, and God wants to set you free. Is that a tough message? Careful. How many times are we going to preach it in the next week? Well, you, uh, well, I, you know what? I don't know how I go that far. You know, like, I'm really supposed to tell somebody about it? Yes, we're supposed to tell people about this love, about this hope, about this peace, about this joy. How do I walk in such joy? How, how can you get, there's, there's difficult things. Guess what? We leave our comfort zone. We leave our comfort zone. We leave that old territory, that old, you know, so probably about, 10 or 12 years ago and, I, and I'll say this I'll say this in, in honest true confession as, as I can about 10 or 12 years ago my wife and I as we were and this is the only time I'm going to pull her into this story I'm not this is not her story this is this is mine we, we started talking to financial planners about retirement and what does retirement look for as, as a pastor and I, and I remember sitting down telling this guy he's like well what's your retirement plan I said I'm going to keep good life insurance and then when I die she can retire and he's like, yeah, that, that's, kind of, yeah that's kind of funny. I'm like, that's really it, man. That's, that's the depth of what I got. And so we started going through it. And so we started talking about what retirement might look like for us. And, and I will tell you part of what's happened after COVID happened in particular. For me, personally, it's like I quit rowing for a number of years. It's like I quit rowing. Like I just put the oars up. This is not a good confession, okay? As a pastor, it's like I just put the oars up. Jared would ask me, when are we going to add on to the church again, Dad? And I would say, that's another pastor's job. That's, that's for the next guy. When are we going to do this? That's for the next guy. You know what? God won't let us do that. He calls us. He's called you to something. Put your oars back in water. Start rowing again. It's, it's, we don't just get to, to just drift along through life because when we're drifting through life we're not fulfilling what God's called us to do and you'll never feel fulfilled you'll never feel like like man I'm really accomplishing something for the kingdom you can accomplish something for the kingdom in every aspect of your life in every place that God puts you but you can't do it if your oars are up you can't do it if you're not plugged in you can't do it if you're not listening you can't do it if you're if you're so busy being focused on yourself and the pacifier falls out and you find yourself just, just moaning and crying all the time. You don't want, get your oars back in the water. 
Start plugging along. Start pulling. What does that look like in the church? I don't, I don't know what it looks like for you. It might, it might look like, you know what? I think I'm going to start a Bible study with my neighbors. Well, how do you do that? It might start with a barbecue and not a Bible study. Come on over for barbecue. And let's just sit down and talk. Let's just get to know each other. Let's get to telling our stories. Let's begin to testify about what God is calling us to leave the in-between place. He wants to take us. He started out here. You, you were lost and now you've been found. And he doesn't want any of us left just comfortable here. He doesn't want to leave us just in that spot where we're just kind of chilling and hanging out. He's got a purpose for your life. And I believe that part of this strategy for the next season for the church is for the church to discover what does that look like? What has God called us to? He has not called you to wander in a desert for 40 years. He hasn't. Wandering in a no desert is good for 40 years. Nobody wants to be in a desert for 40 years. Nobody. We might get comfortable. We might just kind of... We, the, if you find yourself in a desert spot, I'm challenging you. I'm challenging you. Get a hold of God. Remember that thing that he called you to. The Egypt. Out of Egypt and into the promised land. What's the promised land in your life? What is God calling us to? Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to pray for lunch. I'm going to pray that you all would hang around. Eat lots of lunch. God, I thank you for each person who's here today. We ask you to just bless and pour in their life. God, I pray for each one of us that we would, we would not want to stay in this spot where we're just kind of hanging out, God, that you have called us to something greater. You've called us to something greater. And that sometimes it's going to look scary. Sometimes we're going to see, instead of seeing the, the land of milk and honey, we might see giants. But I believe that you're going to flip the script when we get there. We step out in faith. That's what faith is about. Faith isn't faith if we can see the end of it. When, when we put our hope and our trust and our confidence in you, then you do something. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You want to make our path straight, God. You want each one of us to grow and to, and to step out and see faith abound in us. Well, that's going to take us acting in faith and hearing your word. God, I pray that you would, you would minister life to each person in this building, in this room, each person who's watching us online. Help them to, to reach out and say, there's something more. What do I do with this ministry of reconciliation? How do I use this gift that you've given me? How do I, how do I administer this reconciliation that you've given me? What would you have me to do with it? God, I pray that you would move in each of our hearts challenge us personally. This is not just about the church corporate. This is about the church individually, us as individuals. How do we function together? In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to challenge you to this. Read the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, read chapter 4 this week. You will see that the body is supposed to actually build itself up in love. That means you and I are supposed to do the work of ministry. Bless you. Have a great day. Go and have a great lunch.